0: Jeff with my co-host and brother Kevin and this is part two of our Premier League preview for the 23-24 season. Uh, if you haven't listened to the first part, we go through teams t- that we think will finish 20th to 11th positions of the bottom half of the table in that episode. This will be the top half of the table. Although we obviously don't have everyone in the same spots, we actually had the some agreement with, uh, with exactly what teams are going to finish in the top half and the bottom half. Um, so today we're going to just start off with the top 10 and who do you think is going to finish in 10th, Kevin?
1: It's a great question. This becomes the, the more interesting half of the table. Uh, I personally think it is going to be Villa in 10th this year.
0: Oh, wow. That's uh, really interesting because Villa, I think many people look at them and think that they're going to be a team that's pushing for the European spots given how well they ended under uh, Unai Emery last year.
1: Yeah, Emery looks like a Batman villain again. Probably one of the the most punchable faces out there, but he's he's a really good manager. I just think having Europe on top
0: of uh, their schedule is gonna make it a little bit
1: harder than kind of what they dealt with last year.
0: Yeah, but he's the master of Europe. He won like I think he's won like three Europa leagues or something with Sevilla. It's weird that they pretty much always win the Europa League, go into the Champions League next year, get knocked out to, back to the Europa League in the group stages, and then win again. Uh, but Unai Emery is kind of a master of that. We talked about some teams that really
1: pay attention and care about, you know, they're not above the lower classes of the European competitions. Yes, and yeah, Villa, they, they love it. They celebrate it like it's a Champions League in the league all together. So it's it's awesome how much they they love and care about Europa.
0: But it is interesting, actually. It's a good point that if they, because Aston Villa has been kind of a mid-table to slightly above that for quite a while Um, they're kind of like Everton Uh, they I think they haven't won anything in quite a while and I think if they do go deeper into the Europa League because Emery is really good at figuring that out really does understand the competition probably better than anybody else would they sacrifice their league form to try to push all their chips into the Europa League because like you said that is it does put a strain on a squad especially a squad that doesn't quite have those same resources although th- their owners spend uh crazy money as well but the reason that aston villa is kind of considered what many other people think is going to be a top six top seven team potentially um is they had really they have really good shape unai Emery, he used to coach arsenal it didn't really work out there but tactically he's one of these guys that comes up with these really good kind of positional like he he practices these tactics where players are They make patterns and are instructed of kind of patterns of play that they should follow. And those obviously work quite well, given his track record. And I think he's turned Aston Villa into a kind of a strong defensive team. And then they have those flair players up top with Buendia, Ollie Watkins, uh, Jacob Murphy. Uh, they have a lot of players up top that actually can go get them goals, um, especially Ollie Watkins was transformed uh, when Emery came in. And I think Villa, they dominated, I think, at the end of last year. But a lot of the problems they had in the early years is because I think Steven Gerrard probably just isn't a very good manager. So I think this team actually uh, is pretty good, is talented. They have a good defensive pairing. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Tyrone Mings or Pau Torres kind of comes in and plays that left center back role because Tyrone mings is one of the fundamental pieces of this villa team and they've bought a a guy pal torres from spain who's very well regarded but is a completely different profile tyrone mings is kind of your all action uh very aggressive english type style center back where pal torres is much more of a ball playing spanish style center back so it'll be interesting to see kind of i think which one of those guys ends up starting more and playing more in that position is going to tell you where Unai Emery wants to take this team. But I have them in eighth place. Um, I do think Europe is going to be a little bit of a burden on them, but I think they, if you're really looking for a team that plays really attractive footy, uh, plays really stylish, uh, but also kind of defensively solid footy. And also is from a really big city, the second biggest city in England, um, Birmingham, uh, and so has a lot of potential to grow as a club i think aston villa is a team where if they just get those things a little bit uh everything kind of lines up pretty well they could be a team that goes from strength to strength and pushes on
1: yeah you never know with emory maybe they end up winning europa and can secure a champions league spot kind of that way
0: and so i have uh brentford in 10th myself uh thomas frank has solidified them in mid table um thomas frank is their manager they're kind of a less flashy version of brighton they use a heavily heavy analytics approach as well um, they lost their keeper david raya who in most metrics although the, you know they're just so you know there's a lot of advanced stats in soccer but they're not as fleshed out because in some ways soccer is just so much more fluid there's a lot fewer set Plays, you know, basically things where you can identify this as an individual play, like something like baseball or football um, or even basketball. So it's it's hard to have advanced stats. And I think the goalkeeper advanced stats lag behind that as well. But David Raya was one of the best keepers in the league. He's probably going to go to Arsenal Um, and their main striker last year, Ivan Tony, who played really well we've also uh is actually being suspended for quite some time i think multiple months for gambling violations we've also seen this in the nfl in america uh where even though the premier league and the nfl basically advertise the all of the gambling sites and are happy to take all their money and just slam the tv with ads for them uh they basically ban everyone uh for gambling themselves I think Brentford's shirt sponsor
1: is like Hollywood. Some, some kind of Hollywood casinos or some kind of gambling thing. So it's yeah, pretty funny, pretty, a little bit of hypocritical. I mean, one, I yeah, think. and
0: obviously you do got to make sure that people aren't betting on games because then the integrity of the sport goes away, but still. Um, but anyway, what do you think about Brentford this year? They are the ultimate money
1: bull. I think he summed it up and maybe Ivan Tony just bought into the system too much and is doing some, <laughs> uh, some kind of some betting money ball too, literally. Yeah. Some arbitrage betting is, is what he's doing over there. But I actually have Brentford sitting at ninth. So it's funny that we've actually just flipped our ninth and 10. Uh, well, I flipped them into uh, ninth there. Uh, yeah. They're, not really a super exciting team to watch, but if you're, you're a fan of Moneyball and just uh, selling and buying players, uh, you know, when the the spreadsheet says to there, yeah, might be a team for you and they're they're another London club. So uh, not too, too hard to kind of be able to follow. And I think it was impressive last year when uh, they've kind of, done pretty well since coming up in the Premier League. There was a lot of thought saying you know, maybe whatever models they're using might not work once they kind of get up to the top, but it seems like they they finished pretty comfortably last year and they're here to stay, and you've seen some other teams. I know Spurs specifically have tried to integrate more data analytics, so I'm not saying that Brentford is the first or the only doing that, but at least a case that it, it semi does work in the Premier League. So it's an interesting project, I think, and a little bit different of a team to follow. So I have them sitting in ninth and I, I think they'll just be kind of mid-table this year, which takes me to my 8th, for,
0: um, and that's going to be Brighton for me. All right, and so I have them in ninth, and so we kind of just flipped Aston Villa, Brighton, and Brentford, who we kind of think will finish various places between 8th and 10th.
1: Yeah, Brighton is a fun team to watch, uh, and I, they're just a really, really well-run club right now. Uh, they've kind of transformed themselves really well into uh, a little bit of a selling club. Uh, they've been, you know, somehow selling the mid- midfielders like last year, but they sold Trissad and uh, Basuma, and still uh, were able to have a very solid uh, midfield. So it's a team that's really well run. Seems like they're doing the right moves to kind of find that middle ground. We're on the fringes of Europe but uh, just always in the mix and fun to, to kind of watch. Also hilariously last year, they uh, their manager left the team, you know, Graham Potter, great manager left to go manage Chelsea. So he took a quote unquote bigger job, but he did not even last for the entire year. And so Brighton continued to persevere uh, without him. And now Graham Potter is out of a job. So, you know, Sometimes the grass is not always greener, and the bigger job might not be uh, always the best.
0: Yeah, so if you look at Brighton, they are pretty much the dream team in terms of how they're run. They are run as optimally as you could possibly be run. They are literally every single team in Europe in the Premier League is looking at their model. Um, They have figured it out in every single way. They get all these guys for cheap money from small leagues that other teams aren't looking at aren't finding they unearth these gems and then sell them to teams especially like chelsea for huge money so they sold cucurella um, last year for i think 60 something million Um, they're going to sell moises Caicedo i think for 110 million Um, and these are guys that they just signed for one or two years and then they sell them on and if you look at the other guys that they found matoma evan ferguson these are guys that are going to be If they're not in in Brighton, they're going to be sold for probably another hundred million each as well in the future. Because these are Brighton, even though, like you said, they're kind of getting a reputation as a selling club in part because they're just from a small town. Um, Brighton, which is, I think, near the coast in London, but, you know, kind of a seaside town, not a huge place. They don't quite have that ability to generate those commercial revenues and match day revenues that other teams have. Um, So players will always, no matter even though they're in the Europa League this year, players will always kind of want to leave those types of clubs and move to the bigger ones. Um, They've shown that even though they're willing to sell people, they're not going to sell people for a cent, one cent less than their asking price. They basically say, you want this player? Come give me 60 million. You want this player? Come give me 100 million. And if you don't, I'm just keeping them. There's There's nothing else to it. And no one has ever been able to call their bluff and basically not sell them. And I think you make a great point with Graham Potter, where I think a lot of people attributed uh i think for managers a lot of people attributed all the success of brighton to graham potter and managers for better or worse, do get a lot of the credit but they also get a lot of the negative uh aspects of when a team does well and the team does poorly but i think in in this case deservey who is uh, an internal promotion after Graham Potter left, has basically shown that he's probably actually better than Graham Potter. And a lot of the things maybe were coming from him as well. And he's this really crazy, fiery Italian guy. And um, he has turned Brighton into the most fun team to watch in the Premier League. They are aggressive, attacking, pressing, just all out kind of a good time to watch and exactly what every team is looking for both on and off the pitch. Yeah, I think Mi- Mi- Mitama is
1: my favorite player to watch in the Premier League. He is just so fun to watch. He's so direct. He's always just taking people on at the byline, trying to make space, get crosses or shots. And and funny enough, uh, he's Japanese. And for his thesis paper, when he was playing on a university team in Japan, uh, he actually wrote a th- his thesis about taking on players and beating them in one-on-one situations so obviously his studies have kind of paid off and it's just a pretty cool story yeah but how much effort do you how good of that thesis do you think that actually some of the stuff you read he's just like wearing a gopro and analyzing he's just like i want to play soccer and i don't want to have to study as much so let me just combine the two and say it's academics uh then there we go i'll graduate and get a big payday and go play in england
0: yeah i guess that's smart uh but the a lot of people, I think, predict them to do well again this year. Um, I think that is enticing because they play just such beautiful footy. Um, they're really fun, but they do have the Europa League this year. They've also lost uh, Alexis McAllister and Moises Caicedo. And even though they've got a lot of money for them, Alexis McAllister is a World Cup winner, uh, a really good midfielder. Moises Caicedo is a guy who literally went for more money than any other uh, player in Premier League history. Um so those are two guys that in the midfield, in the engine room, which is a critical component to any team that they're losing. And yes, you can keep replacing guys. And yes, they do have an incredible pipeline um, and conveyor belt of talents that they can try to draw from. But at some point, and you see this with every team, you know, teams like Southampton, Wigan, all these teams, eventually they run out that conveyor belt dries up a little bit um, and it's really hard to just continually replace all these t- uh, players so I do worry for them over the next couple of years a little bit as they continue to sell all these players because even you know 100 million looks great in the bank but it doesn't actually score you any goals oh and just one more thing is that I do think that Brighton um, teams will I think they have had a little bit of an advantage over the last year or two where they're kind of viewed as this underdog team um, a team that other teams expect to maybe give a game to maybe hope to take points from but as they've got get better I think and as there's more film essentially to watch of them, I think there's always a risk that a team will figure out a way to stop them because we see this all tactical things in soccer kind of come in ebbs and flows where a new invention and the new way that brighton plays, starts dominating, does really well, and then a team kind of figures that out. And suddenly that team just, they need to be able to respond and adapt and change. And if they're not able to do that, they'll fall off hard. So I think because they're such a force, because they're so well-known, I think everybody will be taking them a little bit more seriously. And I I want—I just wonder if that will lead to a little bit of an issue this year. That's good analysis. And yeah, we'll see what it looks like here at the end of the year. So who do you have at your seventh position? So I think when you hit the top seven, so we talk about the big seven now. So you used to have the big four back in the day, and now it's it's been the big six for the last decade or so, as Tottenham kind of squeezed in there. And now, I don't know, do you consider it a big seven with Newcastle having all their money yet? I think so. I think, as everyone will say, they're kind of ahead of
1: schedule and they have a pretty interesting, Team dynamic. I think Eddie Howe is a pretty good manager, and interesting how they kind of splits uh, duties as a as a manager. You know, he kind of uh, they'll split almost like a not quite like an offensive and defensive coordinator, but they've like basically you know Eddie Howe and their assistant manager. They kind of are both giving directions to different parts of the game, which is interesting. But I I, I think they are, and they're not going anywhere. You know, deep pockets, deep Saudi pockets. Uh, means that because
0: the big four big six big seven never meant what place they finish in the title right or in the season because chelsea finished 12th or 14th last year does that mean they're not a big six team no that the big six big seven big four back in the day those are all type of prestige money basically too big to fail type stuff uh where these are the entrenched systemic teams that will always have the reputation that even if they have one, two, even three bad seasons in a row, they'll always bounce back. Um, So I, you know, I think there's more to it than just finishing there. But I agree with you that Newcastle, I think, has all of the institutional money, uh, as well as the support and historical success that will entrench them into this kind of systemic oligarchy of Premier League football. So in seventh, I do have Newcastle. Um, I'd be curious to see where you have them finishing because they did surprise everyone and finished top four last year. Eddie Howe, who is probably the best English manager out there right now. Um, it is interesting because in the Premier League as there's been more foreign players, there's also a lot of foreign managers and English managers have not really been able to make their way to the top of the game. Um, the last one, Graham Potter, who we mentioned um, when we were talking about Brighton, just failed at Chelsea. Um, but Eddie Howe has done an incredible job. You, like you said, he's he's taken on that offensive defensive coordinator thing, and they've actually brought in a new rule this year where you're only allowed one person in that little box on the sideline. And I'm pretty sure Jurgen Klopp said, I think in a conference that uh, that that was due to him. Um, they uh, it's you're not allowed to to kind of crowd that out and both give instructions. So. Uh, but anyway, they have really good players. Ishak up top is, I think, a really good striker, um, a young guy who came from Spain and has really shown that he has the pace, the technique, the quality and just kind of the, uh, the desire to score goals, because I think that's important in a striker too. Um, just that, a little bit of that selfishness, as well as Bruno Guimara, who's I think probably one of the best midfielders in the entire league. Joe Linton, who's revived his career. And then Trippier, uh, who used to play for Tottenham out on right back, has pretty much reinvented himself as kind of the older version of Trent Alexander-Arnold. He's incredible, provides a ton of assists. Um, and, uh, yeah, what do you think about Newcastle this year? I think a lot of people
1: are saying, yeah, they're ahead of schedule and giving them all these you know compliments about how well they did last year. And I'm not trying to take that away, but they did spend $70 million on a striker. So, you know, that, that's not really typical of, of a lot of teams. So I uh, don't want to take that away with you, but yeah, it's still a lot of money that most teams aren't able to do. I think the guy that I'm most interested to see how he does is Tonali. Uh, so he's a really young player coming out of the uh, Italian league and, you know, personally, uh, there's this game called football manager for, for those of you that are, uh, you know, sickos and like sports where you just want to play a spreadsheet. Um, that's what football manager is. Uh, so it's, a video game that you basically are playing a spreadsheet. It's not like FIFA, where it is the best game ever, It's man. so much fun. It, it's not like playing FIFA where you play the players. No, no, no. You're the manager. And so you're making decisions, uh, on, you know, who to start, you have to do team talks, you know, coach players, figure out their mentality.
0: And it'll teach you more about the Premier League in soccer, or any other league. You know, you get the ma- you go manage like second division in like Germany or Italy or something. You get to learn about all these uh, young guys. It's it's well, tough.
1: which is where I learned about Tenali. So, Football Manager in 2020. You know, I played on a not very good uh, team in Italy, and I had this guy who was uh, what they call a wonder kid. Who's yeah, they say is destined for greatness and he was an absolute monster so um, i'm sure he will thank me in a couple press conferences that the you know 29 year old at the time uh, manager from uh, maryland is the reason why he's so successful in the premier
0: league nowadays yeah you believed in him from the beginning but where do you have newcastle finishing so this is going to be the one that's probably going to throw some people for, for a trip
1: and I'm going to put Newcastle at second this year.
0: Second. Are you kidding me?
1: All right. Justify that. I think they are a team that uh, they're just going to figure it out. I, I know there's a lot of talk just with any of these other teams who are trying to ha- you know, have the squad depth for being able to play in Europe and then still kind of manage a, a strong uh, premier league campaign they just look so dangerous every time they play. Uh, they look like anytime they get on, get in a game, they could score four or five goals, no problem at all. And it just seems like a team and a fan base that just has a lot of belief. And just having these backing, they know they're not going anywhere. It's just, uh, I, I think that the mental side of clubs and being able to believe goes a long way. And this is a team that kind of has that backing, kind of has the, the wind beneath their wings and, I really think they're going to surprise a lot of people. And uh, if anyone's going to give City a run for their money, I think it's going to be Newcastle.
0: Holy hell, that is a bold prediction. Uh, I'm curious to see how that bites you in the ass because I'm pretty sure it will. I have them finishing seventh. I mean, this is, like you said, this is a, a fun team. They are really aggressive. They are really physical. They run more, hard, harder, longer faster than every other team pretty much in the league uh eddie howe has had developed them into a very compact defensive unit and then they do have those guys up top and in the midfield that can push and, and create goals for them so i agree that they're a really good up up and coming side they like you said they're ahead of schedule last year but when you add the Champions League to the mix, they didn't play any Europe last year. And so now when you add the Champions League to the mix, for I'd say most of these players, pretty much all of them, this is going to be their first experience with the Champions League. And when you're growing up, you know, a lot of these... None of these guys necessarily dreamed of playing for Newcastle, but they all dreamed of playing in the Champions League one day. And uh, some of them, like Tenali and stuff, have played in the Champions League. I think maybe Eshock too. But the uh, when you're playing for Newcastle and you, you make the Champions League for the first time i have to imagine that that's going to affect them um last year when they made the league cup final they had they lost to manchester united and had a bit of a down downwards trend after that uh because i think it was such a big game it kind of took away from their focus uh those are go- those games are going to be happening in the midweek now uh they're going to be a lot more fatigued those are the games that they're going to be Uh, have to get up for and they don't really have the depth to sustain a 50 game uh, charge that a lot of the teams like manchester city manchester united arsenal liverpool above them have in terms of being able to rotate so a couple injuries or a couple guys just not playing as well due to fatigue their heads turning from the champions league their extremely physical, demanding style, which means that they're running harder and longer and more than other teams. All of those things with this nine month season, with more games played, I just have to imagine that that's going to take a toll. And so I would not be surprised that if th- that they have months where they look like one of the best teams in the league. But I would not be surprised either if they have months where they especially around those Champions League games where they'll go a couple months where they're just dropping points left and right. So I think they are ahead of schedule. I just don't think that they're going to have a type of Champions League uh, type of top four campaign this year, um, whereas uh, the other teams above them are just a little bit better able to handle the the rigors of the schedule. Second place. You heard it here first. All right, that is bold. Uh, But anyway, so who do you have in seventh then? So I have Chelsea
1: that are going to be in seventh. Uh, This is kind of almost the opposite or the foil to Newcastle. This is a team that does not have the wind beneath their wings. This is a team that is fighting uphill both ways. Uh, Just they're in absolute turmoil.
0: Are they fighting uphill both ways? They've spent 800 million pounds in the last uh, like eighteen months, they have uh, that's a lot of money to to generate uh, to generate some liftoff.
1: Let me just caveat and say, I you know I have a special place in my heart for for what Poch did for Spurs. I would be honest; I don't believe in him here. I don't think he's going to be the guy for Chelsea. And I mean, last year it was just absolute chaos. And it just seems like Bully, their, their, their new owner, has no idea, no direction. Um, you know, Say what you want about the, the Abramovich regime and what you should say is you know, objectively a pretty terrible person. But at least they seemed like they, they had a direction. Um, they kind of had a way they are going. It just seems like Bully is just lost without a paddle and maybe is getting into a Jerry Jones kind of situation where he, he's trying to be involved and make too many micro-corrections. So, I, they're basically working with a new squad. I mean, I don't think anybody has, probably Chelsea has bought and sold more than almost most leagues in Europe, I would say. Just, you know, dollar for dollar kind of this year. So, it'll be interesting to see if they can kind of figure that out and get
0: some of those guys to gel. Yeah, I mean, last winter transfer window, I think I think there's a stat where they spent more money in that window than the entirety of the French League, German League, Italian League, and Spanish Leagues combined. So you take that kind of money and they're doing it in an interesting way where they're giving these guys eight-year contracts, seven-year contracts. They were doing that initially for FFP reasons to kind of spread the money out, amortize, you know, because it's really fun to get into the contract economics, but uh, amortize it so that basically they could put less money on, the, on the, their accounts this year. But they're giving these guys really long contracts, bringing in an incredibly young team so young like they're literally buying all the best 21 22 year olds in the entire world they are buying so many of these guys that i'm not even sure who some of them are when they show up on uh some team sheets during preseason because they just have so many new faces they've spent what getting towards a billion pounds in the last like two years Uh, but the thing is is i think a lot of what happened last year is that they it was a transitional time where a lot of the guys that had been there for their champions league win in 2020 uh i think there was kind of a they call it downing tools um in england where they just don't really believe in the team anymore don't believe in the direction i think thomas Tuchel, who was their manager got fired and i don't think they meshed well with graham potter and so i think last year was a mess but they've gotten rid of those guys like christian pulisic you know, RIP, Captain America. Uh, but uh, they got rid of Kai Havertz, Mason Mount. They've got rid of a lot of guys, uh, a lot, uh, Koulibaly uh, in their defense as well. And they've brought in just so much talent. And Pochettino, who I think most people, even though he didn't do very well in PSG, I think there's a lot of extenuating circumstances there. He is a manager that it, at least at Totems seemed like he did well with young players. Um, so, when you bring in this much talent, it seems almost inevitable that at some point they will figure it out. And it sounds like they're probably going to buy Moises Caicedo as well from Brighton for 110 million. And they already brought uh, Enzo Fernandez from Benfica in last year for 110 million. And so, those two combined are going to probably make, if everything works out, the best midfield in England. Um, I think the biggest issue this year is just how will the attack gel? Do they have enough goals in them? I think a player to watch is uh, Mudrik, who has the worst neck tattoos. Well, Anthony has probably the worst (laughs) neck tattoos, but uh, I guess everyone who has neck tattoos has the worst neck tattoos. But uh, Mudrik, who is incredibly fast, you know, a player that Arsenal wanted as well, and just see how he develops. Because I think you can almost throw last year out, Um, I think the Nkunku injury hurts them. It seems like he's out for a few months, but they need to figure out if uh, Nicholas Jackson is good enough to lead the line, provide them with the goals. But I think this is a team that has spent so much money and bought enough players that they're going to find a spine. And I think with the no Champions League and low expectations because of just how bad they were last year, this will probably be the only year, uh, with where Chelsea doesn't have a ton of expectations, I think Pochettino will at some point figure it out. So I have them finishing up in fifth uh, and potentially which could be a Champions League spot this year.
1: Interesting, interesting. I guess time will tell and see if they can kind of get it to gel and find a little bit of their own soul. Uh, so for sixth place, I have Spurs uh, going to be sitting there. What about you?
0: What do you have in sixth? Who's also known as Tottenham um and uh yeah i have them actually in the exact same sp- spot um i think a lot of people were actually pretty negative towards them this year i think a lot of the people in england to- a lot of the top pundits um kind of have them finishing outside of all the european places you know kind of and more in the eighth place and i think a lot of that it sounds like harry kane's probably going to go to Bayern munich um so i think losing harry kane is a monumental shift in the club. I think for the last decade, he's been the best player there. Um, he is one of the all-time great Premier League players. He provided them with goals and basically gave them a floor, which they could always have there and just try to elevate from there. And he's given them a ton. But what do you see with their new manager, Ange? And I have Pasta Koglu. I'm going to mess that up so many times. But uh, no, he, it's a new era for them.
1: You absolutely nailed it. I I think that's the big thing about Tottenham right now is this is probably a a good thing for them. I think they've had a little bit of an identity crisis over the last four to five years, really after losing the champions league final and kind of after Pochettino left. Uh, They are part of the big six, but they spend a little bit differently. I would say they're the little brother of the big six and They've just had a little bit of an identity crisis where they're trying to bring in elite, elite managers like Jose Mourinho
0: or Conte. And I mean, Conte and Mourinho just were absolutely not the right uh, uh, guys for them. I mean, they have Tadarius to do, and I think Tottenham has a certain expectation of how they're going to play. Yeah, absolutely. They're
1: looking to play attacking football. It's exciting football. You know, it's as important as you know, almost as important as winning games. Well. Yeah, they haven't really won anything since LA, you yeah, know,
0: more important than than winning trophies. If you're not going to play uh, win anything, you got to play well. And it is interesting because I think every and this is just something to remember and is something really cool about uh the Premier League is that every team kind of has this tradition where people expect a certain type of play. So you can play defensively at Chelsea in a way that you can't really at Manchester United um or or a team like Tottenham. So they brought in these elite managers but didn't really have the
1: the funding uh, to give them all the tools or all to reinvent the system or the time to kind of make sure that they could win, win trophies. I think a lot of it had to do with having the team they had. Um, you know, they had Harry Kane, they have min Sun, and some other, you know, the core of their team that kind of went to the Champions League final and also, you know, got second place in the Premier League it was kind of aging. So they, it looked like they were trying to bring in You know, a manager that was a serial winner and could get them over the line and get them some silverware before that kind of team aged out. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like it worked out super well. So I think this is overall a good thing, an exciting time for them. Yeah, Ange is a wild man. Um, So he was at Celtic before. He's the manager at Celtic, and he's he's an Australian guy. But he seems just like a really wholesome and an absolute leader, which is a a, a very big contrast to to what – you kind of have the elite managers that are great when they're winning, but brooding when they're they're losing. And his philosophy is, I'm going to score more goals than you are. So it doesn't matter if they score five, we're going to score seven. So I think they're going to be a really fun team to watch this year. Uh, they brought in James Madison from Leicester as they were going down, who uh, is an English Englishman uh, and great midfielder. Uh, they also have, like I said, Hyung-min Sun, who's probably the best Asian footballer to, to ever play the game. He you know, had a little bit
0: of an off year last year, but... Yeah, he was a joint winner of the Golden Boot what do you think happened with him last year he was terrible I don't I don't really understand it because human song I think at times has been probably one of the top five players in the Premier League over the last five years like legitimately one of the best players in the world, and last year he it seemed like nothing went right for him.
1: In the off season, he uh, he came out and kind of said that he was dealing with a uh, I think it was a hip injury, uh, so he was having a ton of pain uh, while kind of going through. it. I don't know if he had like a minor surgery or if he just gave it some more time in the off season. But he came out and after the season was over, it was just like, Hey, this is kind of what I was like dealing with. And so he's kind of hoping to start the next year off on the right foot. And interesting. If Harry Kane does go, uh, Richarlison, who uh, they bought from Everton for a ton of money, I think it was like 60, 65 million. And I think he scored one or two league goals last year. Now, he did have some injuries, and he is playing behind Kane. Uh, but he is Brazil's number nine, so it'll be really interesting to see if he can kind of fill that spot. And personally, I think he kind of fits the Ange's style a little bit more than Kane does. Of course, Kane's incredible, so he could fit fit him into any style. But um, I think he'll be a good fit, and Spurs are going to be an exciting team. He'll you know, win, lose, or draw. I think it'll be fun to watch him each and every week.
0: Yeah, and it'll be nice to have a manager because I think Spurs, like you said, they are the little brother of that big six, big seven. And I think Conte and Mourinho both kind of thought themselves above the club, which is honestly a little disrespectful, but it should be expected because both of them are kind of assholes. So it'll be nice to have a manager that I think aligns with the fans. But why do you why do you think both of us think that he they're going to be a little better than what other people think of them?
1: I think they're a good team. Uh, you know, this is kind of the, the time to, to rip off the Band-Aid and have a, a full-on rebuild. I mean, I think James Madison is Premier League proven. You know, we're going to work that into the conversations as much as we can here. Um, and like you said, and Sun, one of the best goal scorers in the league. Like, he had a joint golden boot two years ago, uh, even with taking no penalties. So him and Salah kind of had it, but personally, I think you should go to the guy who took zero penalties, but Hey, uh, they're there. I, I think they have a, a good core of team. Um, just Ange is a, is a good manager and he's done very well everywhere. He's gone. You know, he did some great work at Celtic. Um, he, he made Australia win their first ever Asian cup. So I think he is going to kind of write the ship, turn it around and they still have the talent and they also spent a lot of a pretty good amount of money in the off season too. So, I think if they can get another center back here or there and then figure out the whole Harry Kane situation, um, I think a lot of people are going to be sleeping on them and kind of underestimate them. And also, they don't have Europe this year. You know, they finished outside of the European places. So as other teams are kind of worrying about, you know, their peers are going to be kind of worrying about uh, balancing that, that schedule, Spurs will be able to focus week to week.
0: Yeah, the spirit around the club, I think, will be better. And we'll just see if this year is a little too early. Um, But the good thing is I don't think expectations are high. And what I think that often means is that the players can play more freely. I could not agree more. And
1: you'll just see Spurs midfield is going to be one to be reckoned with, with Papsar, Basuma, and James Madison. And then when Rodrigo Banticore comes back, they're going to be a real force to reckon with. And I think they have one of the best midfields in the league. And I think they're going to surprise some people. But I absolutely agree with you. And Spurs might be a team that has a little bit more freedom to, to kind of punch above their weight class. But I think we are running out of time and we don't make this episode too long. So we're going to sum it up here, stop it here. And we will give you another part two of the top half of the Premier League that we're giving as our preview. So stick with us and thanks for listening in. Please feel free to reach out to us on our socials at Premier League Proven on Instagram and tell a friend, write a review, let us know what we can do to make your experience even better. So thanks so much for listening with us and we'll talk to you next time.